I'm the man behind a weekly cultural podcast called The Bat Segundo Show. I write for newspapers, interview writers and thinkers, and slay miscellaneous dragons. My name is Edward Champion, and I hope your life is just as interesting. My name's Lyle Troxell. My name's Emerson Murray, and this is Media Sound Off. I've been listening to your show for a long time, and uh, it used to have a lot of different characters, like Bat Segundo introducing all the shows, and Three Cheap Tenors, and other characters it seems that you sort of i don't know if you killed them off but they sort of disappeared well i'm uh so sorry uh well i i, I hate to uh to correct you but uh has in fact returned from the grave most recently uh he's actually been on the last uh he was on the last show but he was certainly on the two or three shows before uh the three chief tenors will probably make a comeback. It's just a matter of um, finding the right occasion for that. And, and not only that, uh, I, I can see what you're saying. Some of the regular uh, characters uh, have, have not made frequent appearances, but I, I do plan on, yeah. on, 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 on certainly restoring them. I think uh, a lot of this is dictated largely by uh, what comes into my noggin, um, which is often a new idea or sometimes a return to an old idea. Sometimes uh, Segundo pops up, sometimes he doesn't, uh, and, and I just kind of like to keep everything relatively anarchic uh, and just whatever whatever seems to work uh, at the occasion. Uh, I mean, just to give you an idea of how the intros are recorded, a, a lot of them are sort of... They're recorded because I have to come up with something, and uh, I often have a very small window of time to do it. And so uh, this is actually very good because it, it results in sort of an improvisational scenario in which uh, whatever crazy idea comes into my mind or is dictated by a piece of music or is dictated by a piece of sound uh, ends up being there at the very beginning. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and sometimes they become extremely elaborate affairs and sometimes they don't, and sometimes it's just really straight, but, uh, but, uh, I, I do try to keep them fairly unpredictable. This might explain why I have drifted away from, uh, the Bat Segundo character a little bit, largely because, uh, uh, despite the fact that I had a pretty good run with him for about 200 shows, I had wanted to take <laughs> a little bit of a break because, uh, uh, there's only there's a there's a certain amount of things that you can do with him. Uh, he has a, right. a very intricate backstory, uh, <laughs> which surprises even me. Uh, but basic <laughs> basically, uh, uh, I had reached a point where I just wanted to just try a few different things, and uh, uh, I think if I don't continue trying new things with the show, both in terms of the interviews or the intros. Uh, I, I'm just going to get bored, or I'm I'm just feeling yeah. that uh, that there isn't a natural sense of evolution or a natural sense of uh, development because I feel that with, with any podcast, and I'm sure you guys both experience this situation. Uh, it, you, it's very easy to become stalled if you do the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, Therefore, for sure. you, yeah, I mean, I mean, have you guys had any problems along those lines with, with geek speak and the like? Or? Yeah, I've definitely had the problem of feeling like I've done the show before or covered the same news story before. But yeah. I think one thing that you do that's that seems to be different, I don't know how many times you've interviewed the same person, but it seems to me you normally talk to someone uh, new, and that in itself is a pretty interesting way to keep the show fresh. It is, um, and for authors who I do return to, it's largely because uh, there is a great cavity of information that has not been pursued. Uh right. You know, and, of course, they've on. released new works that you've read and have new questions for them. 
There is that, but I mean, in, in the case of, for example, uh, T.C. Boyle, who, who turns out a book a year and has uh, an amazing catalog, I've only talked to him twice, I do plan on talking with him hopefully again, uh, I mean, I could probably talk with this guy, you know, six times, and still wouldn't even begin to dig into that background. Right, right. Okay, so Edward, you, you, since we're talking about authors, you seem to be a specialist on the books and their entire their entire library of work when you talk to an art to an author. And I'm just curious, how much you read, and what do your books look like? Do you notate the heck out of them when you're working? Uh, you know, okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll answer the latter part of your question first because it's a little bit uh, odd and idiosyncratic. I, I have this bizarre relationship with books where, uh, and this probably has a lot to do with the way I grew up, uh, or possibly going to libraries and having librarians uh, offer these peremptory announcements toward me. No, you can't mark the book. Uh, what I do is I take uh, I take a piece of paper and I fold it uh, sideways. I do this for, for books I review or books I look at. Uh, and uh, often I'll jot down notes. Sometimes I won't jot down notes. Sometimes, again, I welcome the anarchy of uh, revisiting and flipping through a book Again, uh, I, I kind of I, I do a very close read the first time, uh, and then when I'm about to come up with questions for a particular author, I then proceed to just kind of flip through it, uh, and, and re I remember specific things. I have a, a relationship to text where uh, if I can remember a particular quote, I can generally remember the area on the page where it has appeared, so I can generally find... Uh, where it's at. But for uh, a really intricate author or a complicated book, uh, yeah, you better believe I'm taking notes because I want to understand this right. son of a bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the, I was just listening to your Tobias Wolf interview, uh, episode 208, and one of the things you mentioned, for example, and that you do this quite a bit, where you bring up in in his writings multiple times where he references cars and and even a metaphor of a person acting like a car but also when people are in vehicles and it seems to me to read a large collection like Tobias Wolff and have an understanding and then connect that together that he has some kind of motif which is not a major part of his work but is still something that grabs your attention how does how do you form those kind of uh, ideas to ask the the author uh well, I, I think it's, again, um, a lot of this has to do with just being the kind of reader uh, where I notice things that pop up uh, multiple times. Or I, I, I have a very uh, peculiar uh, situation where if I read something, if I notice uh, uh, either a, a word that's italicized or a word cropping up with great frequency or a particular theme cropping up with great frequency, uh, it's just, it just... It, 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 it creates this explosion in my head, and I and I I, I definitely note it down. Um, or or sometimes I'll, I'll I'll go back and say, did he really mention the car yet again? Yeah, he did. He did. And so I think it's just uh, like I said, the only way I can explain it, and this is often the answer that an author would give me, as Tobias Wolf did. But it really is a, a subconscious process. Uh, I think most authors that I've talked with will tell you that when they write, they have no idea what they're doing uh, in, in right. very specific ways. And that's what makes these things fascinating. And I think, likewise, as a reader, um, I often am sort of stumbling around through the dark and, and finding things and, uh, uh, again, embracing this natural anarchy of the conversational format, the intros, and everything else. I, I really find uh, find it very helpful to work, work essentially without a net. Uh, I basically operate my entire life off of a spreadsheet. Uh, 
I know that I have to read uh, certain. I mean, you know, it sounds like I'm a some sort of you know corporate guy or something like that. But no, no, it's just I have one piece of paper. I, I'm not a Franklin Planner guy. I'm not a BlackBerry guy. I'm not a PDA guy. I just need to know. Okay, I've got to go ahead and write this piece by then. I've got to, I'm going to be interviewing this author by then. Um, and somehow uh, things always tend to work out because I always meet my deadlines and I always have the books read by uh, the time I have to uh, read an author. And in, in cases where I don't have a, enough time, I will often write the, uh, the questions out on the subway. I actually did that this morning. I interviewed someone, um, and uh, I actually woke up later than expected. So <laughs> what ended up happening is, is that I was essentially writing down a bunch of notes on the subway. Uh, and, and I find that if you have things too planned out, you lose a lot of the spontaneous quality of the conversations. Because I think that what all of us are interested in as podcasters and as radio people is to really create a conversational environment that is unpredictable, that, that the listener has not heard of. The listener can find some sense of marvel in that. That's what I'm hoping to do at any, any rate. If I could do that on some basic level, uh, then, then I, I, hope, uh, I hope that I have done my job. Well, right. There's a certain amount of magic that occurs in, in spontaneous, you know, dialogue, and you got to capture that. You can't let your plant steamroll. Yeah, yeah, imagine. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. What about what about arranging your interviews with authors? I mean, you've got a a huge body of work, almost 250 interviews, and some pretty big names on there. I mean, how do you arrange uh, to do these interviews with these people? Uh, it's actually extraordinarily simple. Um, simply because I'm a tenacious person. Uh, I, you know, look, and you guys probably know this too, you can pretty much talk to more or less anyone or someone close to someone if you constantly uh, present yourself in a, in a professional manner, if you uh, show your body of work, if you're very courteous and you're absolutely clear about your details, uh, and you also <laughs> have to nag them sometimes. Now, there have been author interviews I've, I've managed to set up with one email. It's as simple as that. And it's like, wow, you made my job easier. Uh, there are other people who, who I have had to, you know, literally make 15, 12 phone calls because the publicist can't do their job and can't even be bothered to say no. Uh, because <laughs> this is the thing that amazes me the most. It's that, you know, if they said no, they would, this wouldn't be a problem. I think the reason why I've managed to get a lot of these interviews is because I'm just so persistent and I'm so tenacious, uh, and I am not going to stop until I have a yes or no answer. You know, if you give me a no, that's fine. I, I mean, I just ask for a yes or a no. Uh, a lot of these interviews sometimes happen by accident. Uh, uh, sometimes publicists approach me. Uh, I interviewed this guy named Carl Sheeler, um, who was running for a uh, senator, and, uh, in, uh, and, and I don't know why the hell he contacted me, but I'm like, okay, well, I haven't talked to a politician yet. Why the hell not? And he accused me of being a Republican, which was really, really quite funny. Didn't expect, I think, to be, uh, to be grilled on his policy. Did, did, you find out why, did you find out why he contacted you? I think what happened is is that someone in his staff was trying to get the word out, and for whatever reason, stumbled upon my show as as some kind of important place or serious place to discuss issues. Um, you know, this this often happens. I, I don't. You know, I will sometimes set up an interview with someone because, well, why the hell not? I mean, yeah. it's it's largely curiosity. If there's something that is uh, uh, even slightly curious about someone um, or some 
thing that they've done. Uh, I, I, I will interview them because I really hope to understand them, and I hope other people can understand them. I mean, um, the interview with Mike Gravel, uh, I, you know, the thing about that particular interview is a lot of people declared the guy, oh, he's an old coot or he's completely washed up, but I, I don't think that's the case. I, and I find a lot of the uh, perceptions of these conversations to be largely contingent upon the listener, upon uh, the listener's uh, sense of the world. And, and I, I try to find some particular guest who will strike that note of multiple perceptions or uh, this ambiguity that can be perceived by nearly uh, anyone. I, I certainly try that with the, the answers. I've become better over these conversations at, at, at not being uh, so literal with my questions. I, I like to allow the answer to speak for itself, and I like the question to speak for itself. Um, and, and, you know, I will change my mind midway through an interview uh, about, uh, about a particular aspect of the book, uh, and yet uh, people seem to think uh, that I'm some sort of extremely tough interviewer. But, but if you go back to the, to the 60s and the 70s, and you look at Dick Cavett, and you look at Mike Douglas, and you look at Tom Snyder and his great interview with Charles Manson, you know, what I'm doing is really not all that different from what they were doing. Uh, because basically there was a period of time in which journalists rose up to the ranks and they became the people who then were on television and on uh, radio. Uh, I'm sort of a, a quasi-journalist in that I do write for newspapers, but uh, I, I, I guess I have taken that sense of journalistic inquiry and applied it to authors and sometimes uh, filmmakers and the like. Uh, but, but unfortunately, there are, there are very few people doing that. Uh, I mean, I know you guys have worked with Rick Cleffel, and he's really good, and I would yes. put him definitely up there. Uh, but, but there are very few people, I mean, not even the major um, uh, NPR people, uh, they don't even read the books. I right. mean, this is, no. this is astonishing. Why would you go to the trouble to talk with someone if you aren't even vaguely, you know, even <laughs> intimately right. familiar with their material? Now, it makes no sense. Now, this, this, might connect, this question might connect. Why, why are you doing podcasting instead of radio? Does it have to do with what radio is now? Well, you know, I never really set out uh, to do a radio show. Uh, this was this whole thing started off as a, as a shameless excuse to interview David Mitchell, <laughs> and just kind of you know, propagated from there. And now I'm doing like five to eight of these every month, which uh, astonishes me. But I, I, I just. I learned so much, and a lot of the listeners get a lot out of these conversations, and it also provides a, a forum that just isn't there for a lot of these authors who have no other place to promote their books. And I feel a sense of responsibility to keep the show going and to keep uh, these conversations happening, because I know that, that nobody else uh, actually takes the books as seriously as I do. Um, I have had a few uh, correspondences with uh, radio program directors, but I have found on the whole that uh, they are not particularly interested in what I do. One program director, who I won't name, has essentially stated, oh, I'm sorry, you're too smart for us, <laughs> which was a bit of an astonishing uh, yeah. idea. Uh, well, But you are doing an in... Yeah, you are doing an in-depth kind of interview that just does not exist on radio and television. Yeah, yeah. And and that's one one of the things that we're doing with this show is really talking about what the kind of benefits exist as online forums. You can have any duration you want, any kind of in-depth conversation, and keep doing them with the same person. And the people that want to listen to that kind of in-depth quality will find it. Yes, and, and kudos to you guys for taking advantage of this format as well. I mean, the other thing, too, is that people... The radio people, they really are underestimating the fact that uh, people really are starving, 
starving for content to listen to in their, their cars. They're sick and tired of the clear channel nonsense, the same seven songs playing over and over again. And then on the talk side, they're sick and tired of the insipid, same questions, dumbed down. I mean, I have had people email me and said, Ed, you have saved my commute. You have made <laughs> made my commute worthwhile. By the time I'm pumped going into work, I mean, and that's really astonishing to hear that I have I have helped someone, uh, you know, get in touch with their innate intelligence. Uh, and so by the time they work some job that maybe they like or maybe they don't, uh, uh, they're all fired up. I mean, this this is an incredible thing. Uh, why aren't we Why aren't we Why aren't we taking advantage of this? And now podcasters. Uh, are to a large degree, but at the same time, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I find that uh, a number of them simply want to be a surrogate for FM radio. Well, that's preposterous. Yeah. I try to keep the conversation roughly around the time that someone is, is is driving to work. Generally, like around 40 minutes tends to be the the average time. Although I can sometimes get to talking with someone for you know as long as 90 minutes, and I have. Uh, it just all depends. I just will break the show up into two. But I mean, really, I I do think in terms of commute time. Uh, in, in relation to these conversations, because I figure the average person's commute is probably around 30 to 40 minutes, and, and that's also a pretty good time before things, uh, before someone gets burned out by listening to this kind of uh, uh, often intense conversational style. So, and, you know. and how much editing do you do? I mean, what is the post production like for your show? How much do you, how long are the interviews versus what they end up being on the show? I mean, how much is edited down? Or It's roughly about 98%. Of what you hear, uh, I yeah. suspect uh, you know. I, I do a lot of cleanup. I try to make it sound uh, better. Uh, I take out pop explosives. I take out uh, if if someone coughs into the mic. Uh, I, I, I definitely am not going to take out uh, a moment where our conversation is interrupted by someone because I find that to also be you know, yeah. Well, funny so many, and yeah, all of your recordings are so live. Are live? I mean, on location, not in the studio yes. for the most part. I mean, uh, basically, I think the reason why uh, I, I try to keep it as, as more or less as pure as, as possible, it, it probably has a lot to do. I, I did have a, a brief flirtation with theater, not more than a flirtation. Actually, you know, I wrote and directed a few plays. I did. I had a little bit of an acting uh, thing going on, uh, and I think that um, I view the conversations very much as a, as a form of theater that you have to keep the momentum going on, that you have to uh, keep things going. And this is also, I suspect, uh, also influenced by, you know, old-time radio, for example. I'm a huge uh, admirer of, of old-time radio and radio drama, which, again, is something that is not done in the States. It's done in every other Western industrialized country. You'll find them in Canada. You'll find them in the U.K. You won't find them so much in the States. And I'm also shocked that podcasting has really not taken advantage of this possibility. There are a few shows out there. I know Escape Pod does uh, dramatize stories and the, and the like, and that's, and that's fantastic. But I'm talking about full-blown productions. Uh, there is one other thing I, I should also mention. I, I find myself, I think the reason why I have not been able to convince a lot of program directors that this show is something that is worthwhile is because I'm in that strange territory uh, of the gray area between two types of radio. We're familiar with the radio that we hear on, on the FM dial. Of, Hi, welcome, well, how's it going? You know, hey, we're, the weather's going really well. Right. Uh, and I suppose that is reflected to some degree with the intros. And then you have the other, hello, 
Welcome to NPR, uh, you know, and, and the soporific yeah. boilerplate. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's fine if I need yeah. to go to sleep. But, you know, uh, if you look at a show like, you know, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, you want to know why that show became so popular? Because of all the NPR programs, that program was the most natural sounding. And this is the yeah, thing. it has a little energy. <laughs> it, has, yeah. it has energy. It has real uh, enthusiasm and passion. And uh, this is what radio is lacking right now on, on both sides of, of the spectrum. Uh, you, you, you two, I'm not imputing you. Don't worry. You, you sound like you're, you're, in, you're serious. You're, 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 you're definitely in this. So. But, I mean, the, the point I'm trying to make here is, is that this is really what the Internet has enabled. Uh, uh, enabled. It makes it sound like a drug problem. But uh, encourage right. uh, this notion of uh, passion, of, of getting people fired up about things, and of, uh, of people doing things because... Uh, there should be this sense of excitement uh, about about books, about anything, about waffles, for God's sakes, anything. I mean, this is and being and being personal and being personal instead of um, presentational. Yes, personal. I mean, that's why I record these conversations in hotels, cafes, restaurants, and the like because I want the listener to listen to a conversation in a place where they are probably going to go. I mean, you know, 99% of, of radio listeners aren't ever going to walk into a studio. And not only that, but when you're talking with someone, you've got a pop filter in front of, of the other person's face. How can you hope to have a meaningful contact with them? I mean, you know, I... You know, oh, yeah, as soon as they sit in the seat in, in a radio station, it changes everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. And, yeah. and, uh, so, so, and not only that, but the technology does exist to do these things and get a decent enough um, uh, sound signal and a decent enough quality yeah. uh, for, for, for you to have this, these naturalistic conversations. I mean, I, in this case, I, mean, you know, I, I, was, uh, I went to film school, so I think I just took a, a, a nod from the French New Wave filmmakers who did this very thing. <laughs> they recorded their, right, they, right. they made their films in natural locations, and, and that's why, you know, when you watch yeah. an Eric Romer or a Truffaut film, it feels uh, so... Uh, lively and so so real in a way that uh, film because it is yeah, because, yeah, right. because because it is in some sense i mean you know i i mean it's not yeah. suggested that one can't do things in a studio i think studios are amazing things but but if you're talking about creating a environment for organic conversation well go to an organic environment go to a place where people actually regularly talk i mean you know the the, right. the conversation i did with jeffrey ford was was pretty funny because because we, you know, basically the, you know, the second one, I, I, I'm very proud of that one. It was, it, this, this guy, basically, the two of us just kept getting drinks, and, <laughs> and things progressed <laughs> from there. Uh, and I, and I think that kind of brought a certain um, uh, quality to that conversation. That was, uh, you know, he is gradually becoming wary and uh, uh, amazed at my questions. Um, and, uh, and and this is this is this is what podcasts can do. This is what we can all do. And uh, I can't I can't proselytize harder enough, and, and hopefully as we are in this shift between uh, print and online, radio and podcasting, etc., well, we'll see how things mesh out. Uh, I, I certainly hope that, uh, that, that the two sides actually learn to uh, work with each other or learn from each other as to what works in right. both. Uh, maybe we can, maybe we can you know, shift the tide a little bit. I don't know. I mean, you know, I... Yeah, I, th I think you're preaching to the converted. Oh, yeah, ways, I, so. I know. I, I'm, I'm sorry to get on my soapbox. That, I'll, uh... that, that is the... No, no, no. That's the... I think that is the value of your show is its length and its depth and its breadth as well. Um, I just don't ever imagine it being on NPR. I mean, I don't want to burst your bubble and make you feel bad, but <laughs> that's what is great about your show is that it's... Yeah. <laughs> is that it's not NPR-ish. Yeah. It's something wholly other. I mean... 
uh I also thought it was funny when you were trying to interview people from the press junket and I I thought to myself like Edward what what are you doing I mean what you do is so so different from from that yeah and, sound bite kind of yeah thing. it's like your specialty and what you're great at is so different from that yeah that I just to me it, it was no surprise how frustrating it was for you it, it, it was I, I look i mean at heart i really am an optimist uh and often a foolish one uh, and, and i just kind of do my <laughs> my thing and, and figure that it will work out uh, again, this is, I use the word anarchy. I'm going to use it again. This certainly applies to this uh, optimistic spirit I had. I, I approached, you know, I figured I'd approach the film people uh, thinking to myself, oh, well, you know, of course, uh, things will work out just as they did with the publishing people. And, and you know, I, I encountered an entire different species of publicist. Uh, I mean, which is not to say that, I, that I'm, I'm not um, averse to talking with film people, but but, uh, you know, after one experience, uh, which I'm sure you guys obviously know, uh, I, I have opted yeah. not, to, uh, not to talk with actors in particular, and it's not to suggest that all actors are this way, yeah. but, uh, but this is a system that, uh, you know, small, small wonder, really, that you get such insipid uh, uh, answers from, from these actors, because the publicists <laughs> control the strings. Yeah. Uh, they don't want journalists yeah. to do anything even remotely probing, and that's where the interesting stuff lies. Uh, not unless you're someone like Bill Moyers or even James Lipton. That's the, those are the only people who can who actually have the uh, the carte blanche to do it. They limit the conversations to 20 minutes, and you know uh, you need at least 30. You really do. You need to have a good 30-minute yeah, right. chunk, particularly if you've done a, a good deal of research. Uh, and and you can't really uh, uh, you can't really breathe. It basically boils down to this. Uh, authors, I think I work well with because authors do think well on their feet. And my questioning style, for whatever reason, involves uh, another person thinking on 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 the, you know thinking on his feet. For sure. And um and and and, and really, uh, why why can't we all be doing this? I mean, you know, I uh, anyway. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I, I'll, I'm no, go I, I got to say, I'm actually pretty impressed with the ability for you to talk to um, authors and have pretty coherent coherent, intelligent conversations coming from them. I've had some authors um, on my other show, Geek Speak, and it seems to me that they some of the best stuff they say is in their books, and to get more from that is sometimes difficult. And I guess maybe it is the, the duration of you getting comfortable with them and getting into a wavelength with them and starting to really get them to come out of their shell, if they you will. They sort of break down. Yeah. So I'm impressed with you being able to do that, and I, I thank you for the show. Well, well, thank you for that. And, and also, I, I have a feeling that it's not just uh, the duration of the, uh, the time duration. It also has a lot to do with the fact that in the research, uh, I go out of my way to ask questions that nobody else has, have, has asked. It's, it's very easy in our Internet age to, to see, uh, you know, Particularly, you know, even if you do just a few of these interviews, anybody who, who wants to interview an author right. can go onto Google, type in the name of the person who you're going to talk with, interview, and a whole list of all the questions they've been asked over and over and over again. So you can immediately say to yourself, okay, I won't ask him that, I won't ask him that, I won't ask him that. Yep. And, uh, and, and, uh, and really, it just, it just boils down to it, just having a sense of curiosity, having a sense of fun. Uh, and, and really thinking about uh, what an author or, or guest has not been asked before. And that's really how you get them to come out of their shell. Because every author, every guest, every person who is out on publicity has a boilerplate. It's just you do, uh, right. you do something like you know, 40 or 50 interviews on a book tour, 
inevitably you're going to by do. the fifth interview you've got your points down that you're going to talk about it's already it's you're you already know what your answers are by the yes. fifth interview or so yes exactly yeah. and so so what my goal is is i will get anybody i talk with off of boilerplate and, and i will do so with a question that i'm 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 fairly certain hasn't been asked and it, which is not to suggest that that I am, uh, I, I can always do that, but it can also be phrased in a way that is a, a little bit different from that, so that it causes them yeah. to think a little bit more about their answer. And, it actually, and, and some authors, you can listen to, and you can say to yourself, okay, uh, okay, he's adopting this particular tone, so he's definitely on boilerplate. Oh, there's a pause here. Oh, he's not on boilerplate. He's actually <laughs> thinking. You can hear the thinking, yeah. and that's and and I think sure. you can apply it to just about just about any kind of uh, program along these lines. Uh, I, I'm sure certain you 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 two have also experienced this in your yeah. adventures as well. So. On that note, can you talk about your own writing uh, as far as journalism and uh, fiction writing? Your blog. And your blog. Yeah, well, my blog. Yes. Uh, well, the blog I run is called um, it's called Reluctant Habits. It could change any passing vagary, but uh, you can go to it at uh, at edbrants dot com. And essentially, it's a collection uh, again of of things that I'm I'm curious about, uh, things that I wish to comment upon. Um, uh, it's really just it's dictated largely by uh, what people send me through email. Uh, my RSS feeds and the like, and, and I just kind of riff from there. Uh, uh, and uh, basically, sometimes you get uh, you know really lengthy things, and sometimes uh, sometimes you get roundups. Uh, it's to some degree involves books, but it pretty much involves whatever I'm I'm interested in. And uh, you know, some people uh, uh, some people like it, some people don't. Some people like certain things, some people dislike others. And uh, how do you how do you support those. yourself? Do you support yourself with the blog, with the podcast? How do you actually make money? Oh well, no, 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 no. By by no means. I mean, I get a little bit of advertising, but essentially, my bread and butter is through writing for newspapers. I write for the LA Times. Um, the Philly Inquirer, the Chicago Sun Times, uh, Barnes and Noble Review. I've written for the Chronicle of Higher Education, uh, yeah, Newsday, a number of, a number of places. So uh, essentially, the, the freelancing income keeps the whole operation going. I am right now uh, working to see if I can monetize the podcast. Uh, I am starting to approach sponsors. I'm doing uh, very meticulous research on that, and uh, we'll see what goes from there. Because uh, this is largely because. What we're seeing with newspapers, regrettably, uh, the cultural stuff that I tend to write uh, is really starting to die as we're in the shift from print right. online. And so as a result, uh, the markets that I counted upon are becoming a little bit more scarce. Uh, I'm still able to get by, and I'm still, you know, with, uh, I, I don't have any particularly uh, uh, pressing uh, consumerist needs. Uh, I mean, I get books. Uh, I, I'm perfectly happy uh, with <laughs> my little, you know, humble little life. Uh, I'm certainly not in this for the money. I, I mean, name a writer who, who is. Uh, but, uh, name an artist who yeah, is. But, really, yeah. Name an artist who is. Yeah. I mean, you know, but uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, because things are starting to shift, I'm very well aware of that. Uh, and I'm hoping with the sponsorship scenario to to possibly set a precedent for all of us. I mean, I think uh, if you look at if you look at podcasting, even for major media sites, it, it really is surprising to me how few places actually have just even a 10 second ad right yeah, before yeah. the uh, 
podcast. It's really unintrusive. It's you know, it's very simple, and most people don't mind. So, are you are you looking forward to putting that in the front of your show uh, or the middle of your show? Or looking for, well, I'm looking to do that, uh, and uh, and essentially yeah. um, that that is kind of kind of the model that I'm talking about with with a few people right now. Um, and what kind of traffic do you? Sorry about the delay, but what kind of traffic do you have um, on your on your podcast? I mean, people, how many people are listening to you? Well, it, it's it's it, it all depends. Um, the thing the thing that's rather interesting is that the uh, the people who you would expect listeners to hear are often not the ones who get the most hits. Um, uh, this is the amazing thing about the internet. You you find out, oh, uh, Lydia Millet has a fan base in Japan. Uh, what? <laughs> uh, 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 I, I have a pretty solid uh, uh, listenership of around to, to ten thousand people, um, and uh, some. I'm sorry. Some, did you say? I'm sorry. You kind of cut out there. What yeah. Was yeah uh, let me. My phone is about to die. So let me let me find a way to plug in here. Um, this is Media Sound Off. I'm Lyle Troxel, and I'm Emerson Murray. We're talking with Edward Champion, host of the Bat Segundo Show at batsegundo.com. So can you talk a little bit about your uh, your listenership again? Yes, no problem. Uh, there is generally a solid listenership of around um, five to 10,000, although some shows often get listened to by as many as 50,000. Again, a lot of this all depends upon the author, um, and sometimes you know the, the bigger names do attract uh, bigger figures. But uh, sometimes, as I as I suggested earlier with Lydia Millet, uh, uh, you know she apparently had a whole bunch of people in Japan who uh, who really uh, were fond of, of uh, any kind of conversation involving Hiroshima. Right. So go figure, uh, they, and they ended up uh, listening to, to the program uh, to my to my considerable shock. Uh, I told the publisher about this, the publisher uh, being Soft Skull, which is a fantastic um, indie publisher, uh, and, and he, he was likewise floored. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, with, with niche podcasts and niche radio, you never really know that there's a niche out there. Uh, and I think that this is one of the glorious things that podcasting can do, and that podcasting is the, is it's, this is the essence, essentially. Right. Yeah? Can you talk a little bit more about your writing, too, as far as... Writing on your blog versus writing for the newspaper. You had an interesting comment. I, I can't remember when it was, maybe a month ago, a couple of months ago, where you're mentioning about how you were really excited about this author, but because you were writing an article for a newspaper, you couldn't really gush about him. I think gush was the word you used. Yeah, yeah. This is a case where, um, and, I, and I can't be specific. I, I do intend to gush about the author once the piece has actually been published, but that does raise a very uh, interesting point. Uh, uh, because of issues of confidentiality, I cannot discuss uh, which author this is. But uh, nevertheless, I was especially, uh, I went completely crazy about this author's book. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, uh, uh, something I could instantly declare on the blog is, is not quite as possible. And so uh, so as a result, yeah, there, there's a little bit of a, the, the impulse to be urgent is not quite there for, for newspapers. But then this is also a very peculiar assignment that involves a considerable amount of prep work. So, uh, so I think it's a very odd case. Normally, if you've been assigned a book to review, uh, you generally have, uh, you know, uh, basically a one to two week window where you know you, the deadline it gets edited and then it gets published uh, because newspapers can be fairly fast but 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 sometimes uh, when you're if you're doing particularly a lot of prep work for a piece and you're reading a lot of books 
and you're so steeped in the author, and you, you can't say anything to anybody <laughs> about it. It's sort of like, you know, it's like, or make brief allusions on Twitter or something. Right, right. <laughs> you know? I mean, you're, 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 you can't really, really do that. Um, uh, <laughs> a lot of how I operate is very much contingent upon, uh, uh, upon spontaneity and upon uh, a natural anarchy yeah. and, and just produce something. I, I find that if you, if you make something every day, uh, you're, you're, doing a, you're doing an all right job. You've done something. Uh, you have something to look forward to, to tomorrow. Uh, and, and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, you just, just, it's, as long as you keep an open floodgate and you're constantly producing, even, you know, when I do my fiction writing, uh, I will, you know, often go at a steady clip of a thousand words a day over the course of a couple of weeks just to, just to get that flow going. And, and that flow is so, so utterly smooth and natural sometimes and, and so unexpected and often surprises you uh, that it's just, it's just so delightful. I mean, that's just the way I operate. I mean, well, I know I think most other people. Artists are like that. Yeah, you get in that flow and it's just, you don't know where it comes from. It's well, just not, 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 not. Yeah, I mean, not not all artists are like that. I mean, some people really need to sweat over a sentence. Oh, right, right. Uh, I mean, I sweat. I'm very, very particular about my sentences and about my style. But I do find that if you fuss too much with something, you you, you breathe the life out of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel that all art, anything that anybody does, uh, should have life. It should uh, have some sense of joy. I'm not going to write anything that I'm not excited or passionate about. And and, and why should shouldn't I? I mean, you know, because I really uh, I know that the reader. I trust the reader to be smart enough to detect. When I'm writing something and it's clear that the that the interest or the enthusiasm or the passion is not there, um, I mean, you know, granted, I, I I do actually offer thought to my writing as well as well as passion. Uh, I'd like to think, um, but uh, but but essentially, uh, this is I think uh, one of the one of the reasons I suppose I've been able to carve out a little niche for myself. I mean, you know, it's it's a mystery to me as well. Uh, because a lot of book review sections really suffer from making things lifeless. It's very clear sometimes. Certain reviewers, you can read their reviews and you instantly know that they loathe books. And, and, and in which case, why are you even bothering to subject yourself to something you despise? I mean, it's, you know, when there are plenty of people out here who will write and, and offer an informed opinion uh, that is also predicated upon passion. I mean, you know, this does not, I mean, you know, writing's work, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting it's a cakewalk by any means. I mean, I, I still sweat over, over pieces. I wrote a piece the other night and, uh, you know, I was bitching and phoning my girlfriend the entire time, but I met the deadline, you know. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tough work. You just have to sit there and do it. It's ass and chair. And you also have to make sure that what you're writing is, is, is fun. Uh, the only way I'm able to often, you know, I think the reason I, can, I meet my deadlines is largely because uh, I always find a way to make it fun. This is a lesson I learned when I was in high school, when I finally learned that, oh, I could actually write essays uh, if, if they are fun, if they, uh, if they have a sense of joy, if they have a sense of interest. And then I was able to, you know, bang out anything that anybody ever asked of me. And, and, I, and you know, I've, I've never missed a deadline. And it's, just, it's as simple as that. You, you, you can, when faced against a, a limitation like this, uh, often find a way around it or often find some way of, uh, of, uh, of just finding, finding some emotional connection or some uh, conceptual connection or a cerebral connection, whatever. It just has to be true. It just has to be true. It's as simple as that. You know? When you're writing for your blog, who I mean, what is your review process? What is your editing process? Do you just review it for yourself? Do you let other people read it? Do you is it just super spontaneous? Um, you know Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh I think 
with the blog, a lot of that is spontaneous, but for long form pieces, I will sometimes vet it with certain people. Uh, I think I've stopped, and, and this is largely because the early incarnation of Reluctant was, um, first of all, you know, I had a day job that I wasn't entirely happy with, and so that's all I think it showed. That's why it was, it was really angry back then. Uh, but but I think uh, I, 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 I certainly want it to be passionate, and I want it to be unpredictable, and I want it to be anarchic. But I am also aware that, uh, that if I do something and there is no re- reasonable justification for saying something wild, uh, or if I'm a little bit uncertain, sometimes I will I will show it to somebody else and say, hey, you know, what do you think of this? Uh, you know, and and most people who I show this to, you know, know who know how I write, and uh, and and they'll either say yay or nay, and I'll either you know take their opinion or won't. But for the most part, a lot of it is very intuitive. I mean, I, I write I've written a, some kind of post every day now on this blog since since 2004. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, actually, no, yeah, actually, 2003, I'm sorry, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, God. How much do you... God, you guys are making me feel <laughs> fucking old. I'm, I'm sorry, can I swear on How this? How much do you uh, pay attention to the feedback you get from readers? I mean, do you, do you look for comments? Do you want them? What's, what's your take on comments? Well, um, you know, here's the thing. Uh, comments are ways for me to learn about how my message is being communicated to an audience. This is one of the great advantages of blogging in a nutshell. You can determine if people get the, the careful things that you're embedding into a piece. I have a tendency to, to uh, be very subtle in certain ways or to, to really kick people off in certain ways. And I will often do this just to see, just to see if people will get it. And, and more often than not, they do. And, and that, that is why I really believe in the intelligence of an audience. I mean, I think that my blogging efforts have shown more or less uh, that people can can get it. Uh, for people who are being, you know, needlessly inflammatory, I, I, I don't give a shit about yeah. them. I mean, they're just trolls. Uh, for people who have a thoughtful uh, uh, disapproval of something I've written, um, I will always consider it. And, and I have actually, you know, often waited in and updated posts um, for for a lot of the people I have taken the task, uh, you know, I, I do email quite a bit, and, and a lot of the people, if they if they uh, if they've taken uh, a great offense to something I've written, I mean, I, I try not to make it personal, even though it seems that way. Uh, it, when I'm going after someone, it's generally in relation to the work, not the person. Uh, and unfortunately, in the publishing industry, you do find a lot of sensitive types who. Who, you know, there are people who believe that I'm I'm some kind of crazed monster, uh, that I'm a, an insane uh, lunatic. I mean, and maybe to some degree they're right, but uh, but by and large, I also um, I, I do try to be somewhat respectful of folks. Although I'm not going to let this get in the way of telling the truth. I think uh, if if you're not telling the truth, I mean, it's it's the old Jimmy Breslin principle. <laughs> if you haven't pissed everybody off, you're not doing your job as a journalist. And so somewhere along the line. I pissed everybody off at some point, and and this is not a, a a matter of going out of my way to piss people off. It's just that's the way I write. That's just the way my voice is. That's the way it's been my entire life. I have just had a tendency to piss people off in in some way, um, and it's and 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 or people people confuse my uh, my my way of of looking at the universe as, as some kind of 
hubris in some sense. Uh, this this sometimes happens. I, I do my best to, to be as humble as I can because truly the life I lead is, is very much a privilege. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you how, how lucky I am and how fortunate I am. And I, and I don't take any of this for granted at all. No, I mean, you know, uh, and I don't think I ever will as long as I'm able to continue doing this. But, uh, but I think that, um, that by being true to myself to some degree, uh, people see this, uh, this, this assertion of identity as a threat sometimes it's just it just isn't done it's just for whatever reason highly idiosyncratic in in the books and the publishing industry and uh, but but a lot of people have gone out of their way to understand it and a lot of people have been very you know once they understand that that I actually am a reasonable minded person and, and I am willing to listen and I am uh, willing to, to consider another person's opinion. Um, you know, it, it generally, it generally works out. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I, I can identify the, the, the various levels of, of comments now because I just, you know, there are people who, who have loved to just, you know, really just, you know, uh, who really take a great delight in visiting my yeah. site 10 or 12 times a day and just leaving a comment about what a terrible asshole I am. <laughs> and, you know, uh, that, that, that's fine. I mean, you know, uh, it's not a particularly healthy hobby. Uh, but, but <laughs> well, you know, it's Ed, not what let, me take, let me take this another direction. Um, you've been writing for newspapers for a long time, and that's, ha that's how you make your money. And now you're also doing writing for yourself and for your audience directly. And newspapers have seen this kind of hit on, on their readership by people doing blogs. And blogs now have become kind of a mainstream source yeah. of information. But you, you see a lot of the kind of old-school journalists also writing a blog under the umbrella of a publishing, like a newspaper, um, a publishing house. So it's, it's yeah. kind of themselves, but it's also kind of representation of the newspaper. Where do you think that line is? And, and give me some thoughts on that. Well, you know, honestly, I, I think that we are pretty much at the end of the blogosphere glory days. I, I really do. Uh, and it's largely because uh, what was inevitable, newspapers and mainstream media coming in and taking over the blog format, thus quelling the idiosyncratic voices that we so enjoy. Uh, I mean, you know, this is it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, they have resources that we don't, but what they don't have is, is, is are the idiosyncratic voices? Uh, you know, look at the success of. I mean, I, I really enjoy Jacket Copy, which is the LA Times uh, blog. And one of the reasons that blog works is because they smart enough to hire a blogger, Carolyn Kellogg, who runs Picky's Paperhouse, and also uh, a podcaster. And I hope she gets back into it because she's really good. But uh, the New York Times blog, uh, Paper Cuts, uh, I. I I, I'm really appalled by this. Uh, it's not, you know, they do have some thoughtful entries, but for example, uh, they have a, a, a feature where they ask uh, questions of writers as to what they're listening. Um, this was stolen, outright stolen. Even though Dwight Garner claims that it, it was not, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if you're, if you, <laughs> you have to have been aware of this. Large-hearted boy runs this great series called Book Notes, in which he has done this, he's done this for years, and they essentially took this idea, claimed it as their own, and, and I'm seeing more and more of what's this. I'm that, seeing, um, I'm seeing Matt. Sorry, what's the idea that they took? It, it basically, oh, I, I'm sorry, so let me, sorry, I got, a, got in a little bit of a, of an anarchy there. Um, so, Large Hearted Boy runs this interesting series, uh, ongoing series called Book Notes, in which he asks the writer, hey, what are, what are your, what's your favorite music? What are you listening to? And it's a really interesting uh, scenario in which we can get a sense of uh, what songs or what music informs a writer's temperament sure, yeah. or informs a particular piece of work, and it, it really says a lot. So, the New York Times, they start, start doing that. paper cuts. Yeah. 
and uh, suddenly we get uh, we we have a a, a series uh, that they have every week uh, involving asking writers for music, and and this is what is happening. I mean, it, there has been this long claim that the blogs are leeches or, or maggots. Uh, <laughs> That are that are leeching upon uh, the newspapers for their content, but really, uh, it's just as bad in reverse as well. I mean, you know, uh, they are taking a lot of the more interesting and idiosyncratic ideas, watering them down, sanitizing them for popular consumption, and and uh, and uh, presenting them as, as as in a new diluted form. And it's terrible. I I, I think it's 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 disastrous for this great. Uh, you know, great babble tower of expression. I mean, you know, the whole purpose of the Internet is to have as many voices out there as possible. So they're trying to understandably carve a niche in the blogosphere yeah. because they're seeing their revenue decline. Yeah. Uh, but really, I, I see this as a kind of a, of a game of attrition uh, because uh, it's just a question of, like, will the newspapers be left standing? Will the blogosphere be left standing? I mean, you know, I, but I do think this has had an effect because it has forced a lot of the, the more fringy blogs to start becoming a little bit more popular in their writing and, you know, more, more sanitized for public. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very disappointed with what Boing Boing has become, I mean, particularly the way they moderate the, call, they moderate the comments. The, the disemboweling, I find that to be inherently disrespectful to the audience. You know, if, even if someone leaves a stupid or inflammatory comment on my site, they're going to have their comment instated. I mean, you know, there's a, there a few people I ban because, again, of the unhealthy impulse. But for the most part, you know, this is what the free speech is all about. This is what democracy is all about. And, and for them to come in, it's just, it's really disappointing. Yeah, you know, so. the corporate blogs are never going to have that humanity and that spirit. I, I, I sort of disagree with you because I think a lot of those personal blogs are going to get fringier. They're going to get even further out. And the corporate blogs, they're just going to, like you said, they're just going to saturate with this blandness. And with this corporate attitude, yeah. and I think that there's always going to be room for these sort of extreme blogs. You know, if you're really into collecting Star Wars figure oh, lightsabers, you know, there's going to be a blog for you. Yeah, I, I I I agree to some degree with that idea, but I really do believe that uh, you know you have to keep in mind that if you ask the people who use the internet, I mean, they've heard of a blog, but how many of them are so voracious about reading blogs. Uh, chances are they're going to probably go to the New York Times and they see a blog component and they, they see, oh, well, it's the New York Times. I was talking with a publicist today who, who was going on about, uh, about an author who appeared uh, on, on KQED. And I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, I, I interviewed that author too. You should check, take a look at this podcast. Yeah. I mean, this to me represents a kind of tunnel thinking on, on, on behalf of those who, uh, who both maintain and uh, uh, appreciate uh, the, the current the current media outlets that we have uh, that I think is representative of, um, of of a tendency to to really I guess go for the supposedly trusted voice. Now there still remain plenty of trusted voices in the blogosphere. I do agree there will always be a fringe element in the blogosphere or whatever it might be called five years from now. But for the most part, um, you know, a lot of the people. I mean, maybe for personal blogs, I can see the fringy voices yeah. still working. But if you're talking about like, okay, I want to go ahead and, and make a living at this. No, uh, yeah, well, no, I would agree with you. Then. Yeah. More yeah. 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 I mean, that, and that's that's the thing. I mean, this this is kind of again. This is this is why the sponsorship question is very interesting to me about Segundo. It's like, well, 
this is sort of fringy, I think. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's mainstream in some cases. It's, it's crazy in others. I, I mean, it's, it's an inherently unpredictable, yet consistently unpredictable program. <laughs> yeah. The question is, is, is can, you, can, you get, you know, can you get advertisers on board? Is it possible? I mean, you know, I, that this may water down. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, is, is anything that we do really so hollowed to be constantly fringy? I mean, will we inevitably become mainstream at some point when, like, some generation who grows up underneath us then starts to accuse us of being the old fogies? I mean, it's the, it's the same old game that's been played yeah, over right, for, for right. generations, that's true. man. That's true. You know? um, so, it, you know, earlier on you talked about David Mitchell and the whole reason that you got into the, the into your show and starting the Bat Segundo show is, you know, obviously, that's a character from... David Mitchell from Ghostwritten. Yeah, that was the whole reason you said you got into this podcast. So that was episode one. You interviewed David Mitchell straight off, and here we are, about two hundred and fifty. What was it? Two hundred and forty-five episodes later. Why? Why are you podcasting? Why? Why am I podcasting? Yeah. Why are you continuing uh, with the show? Why does a man climb Everest? Yeah. Why does Hillary climb Everest? Because it's there. Uh, okay. Why does a fish breathe in water? Uh, you know, this has just become something that is so inherently part of, of what I do. And, and I, I, I think I, in some case, I, I, I welcome the routine that it provides. I welcome that, you know, again, I live in a case of, I live in a state of anarchy and I'm hopeless about deadlines. And here's something that provides a certain kind of structure. Uh, I also realize that, again, this, you know, I do this and I keep the show going because, uh, you know, there aren't forums out there for writers. There aren't forums out there for in-depth literary interviews. I, I feel a tremendous responsibility to keep that going as long as, as, long as possible. Uh, I mean, you know, and my ideal is, is to keep this going so that I can carry on writing and I can keep on doing the show right. so that, you know, I, I guess in a weird, I mean, it's, in a weird way, it's, it's, I suppose my way of giving back to, to these authors who have, who have been kind enough to write these great books, uh, who have inspired me. And I'm hoping that, that, you know, it's kind of a paid forward principle in place to some degree. I mean, I did, I certainly didn't get into this for the money. Um, yeah. I, I don't live my life for the money. I, I live my life simply because, uh, it's just something that I really love to do. And I can get a modest amount of income to keep on paying the rent doing this and living this life. And, um, and so long as I can keep this racket up, you better believe that I will. <laughs> right. And do you still get a thrill? I mean, is it you're meeting sort of – I mean, you're a huge writing fan, obviously, or a, a you know, big, voracious book reader. So do you, you still get a thrill from meeting some of these people? I mean, who thrills you? You know – I, uh, I, look, the last show was Paul Oster, uh, show number 231. That was the most recent one. Um, I'll tell you, man, you know, that, that was, that was, that was an amazing honor. That was an amazing thrill. I, I mean, you know, uh, I read like the la guy's last five books cause I really wanted to be absolutely prepared for that one. Um, uh, I also want to make sure I didn't waste the guy's time because I know, you know, uh, this guy's one of the, you know, one of the major authors of America. Uh, I, I, I don't want to waste the man's time. Uh, I don't, I want to make it, uh, uh, worth his while. And I also want to make it worth the listeners while as well. Uh, was it a thrill to do that? Yes. Uh, in, in many ways, uh, it's always a thrill to some extent because again, I approach these conversations like theater. I never know how a conversation is going to turn. Uh, I never know how an interview is going to turn out. I, I never know um, how an author or a guest is going to react to, to particular questions of mine. Uh, you know, you just don't know. Uh, and, and you never know if you're going to get 
uh, an amazing moment uh, of revelation. In the second A.M. Holmes podcast, there's an astonishing point where she confesses something so uh, something that has never occurred to her about how she views people. And you can hear the hush in her voice as she has had this realization. And I was there, and you could see it on her face as well, but you could definitely hear it in the audio. Uh, moments like that uh, yeah. really make this worthwhile. I mean, you know, and then just completely unpredictable moments like, you know, uh, being called a smart motherfucker by Ralph Bakshi. I mean, is there any other <laughs> water? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah, exactly. Having conversations with these folks is just really, uh, really an honor and a privilege. And so, of course, it's a thrill. Um, and and I, I choose the authors carefully because I, I want to ensure that there's some sense of interest in, in what I'm doing, just as I, I take on work uh, for books that I know I'm going to have uh, some sort of feeling about. It's just, it's just an innate instinct. It's, I'm able to say, okay, here's a person who has written a book on, on pigeons, uh, someone I just interviewed, hasn't, show hasn't gone up yet, named Courtney Humphreys. Well, this looks like a fascinating subject. It's, it's pigeons. I mean, how much have we thought about pigeons in our universe? How much have we thought about how they inhabit our streets? How much have we thought about... Is it what, a good book? I'm, I'm sorry? Is it a good book? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was a very interesting book, and it, it certainly. Uh, I learned a lot about pigeons that I had no idea about, and uh, I mean, you know. But it also strikes back because I, I once made a little documentary about pigeons back as a film student. So, so there are certain, you know, other things about uh, other about certain topics and certain authors that will will strike me. It's largely a kind of okay. This looks interesting. I'll, I'll go ahead and try it out. And uh, yeah. Uh, or, you know, I mean, if, if, if you don't have that sense of interest, there's just no reason to talk to them. I mean, there's just no reason yeah. to interview if, if, you, if you aren't excited about it or if you aren't jazzed up, if you don't have that thrill. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I suspect that if I were to get to a point where uh, it just stopped being a thrill or it stopped being fun or it stopped being passionate, because, you know, uh, everybody would know that, that it was no longer like that. Who, who, who are you reading and who are you listening to online? Right now, um, in terms of uh, in terms of podcasts and blogs, is that what podcasts, you're blogs? Yeah, What's yeah your, who, okay. who should we talk to? Yeah, well, who, who I do mean, you think we should be talking to next? Yeah, well, I do listen to to Rick Clevel's uh, Agony Column, which is a fantastic resource, and and that man is doing this five uh, five times a week, which, five which is yeah, yeah five times a week. I mean, that's that. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I just I, you know, I just don't have I'm vet, you know, I don't have the ability to do that. I can do it maybe. I, I've done five interviews in a week, but, but this is really uh, intense reading for me. I just, I don't know how the man does it, but I, I you know, but he also talks well, a lot of books you should see his books, they're just covered. Yeah, his books are just filled. Like, when he brings a book in, when we were interviewing a couple of authors recently, he brought in one of his books that actually he was doing a review on with the author, and it was just every single other page had a, a yellow sticky sticking out the side. It was just thrashed with notes everywhere. Yeah, really wonderful. I agree, his podcast is amazing. Okay, so Rick Clevel, I already knew about him, though. Who's next? Uh, well, uh, there's a there's a gentleman named Michael Rice who runs a, a fantastic podcast, and I and he hasn't been doing them lately, but uh, he runs a podcast called Cool as Hell Theater. Uh, I'm sure you guys might be aware of this. Uh, it's it, it in fact, it, you know, if you listen to a lot of there's one show he did in the early days that is one of the best podcasts I've ever heard, where he interviews this actor who who is been trying to get these jobs and it just has no real uh, sense of, of what he's doing uh, and, and is writing this, this zine that is attacking everybody in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, and it's one of the best <laughs> podcasts I think I've ever heard because he basically confronts him about these, these truths. I mean, this guy has been spending five years of his life 
trying to get acting jobs and the like, and and has no idea uh, about uh, about how this anger is hurting him, and and how he this ability to not really interface with people. It says something about the nature of of being an isolated artist and, and, and not having a clue as to, you know, not, not finding a clue after five years. And it's just so fascinating that podcast to me. I mean, yeah. and, and he's, he's a great podcaster in his own right. Um, there's a, there's this guy, God, what the hell is the name of the show? Um, oh God, it's like intense history. I just oh, blogged yes. about it the other oh, day. It's like agro, agro history no 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 it's it's uh there's this guy oh oh god i'm I'm blanking out he also does i'm sorry what was it hardcore history that's it hardcore Hardcore history history, yeah yeah i thought my girlfriend saved my ass here but yeah that's this guy is is so passionate about talking talking about history and he also has interviewed gene burke and he has uh and it's just like it's the kind of program you listen and in the first minute you know the person is not only an expert and is not only going to have a very fascinating uh, take on, on the subject, but just really is having a lot of fun doing it. It's not, it's not that yeah. difficult. He reminds, reminds me of an uncle that I only see every once in a while that I love, right, that is full of all this information and knowledge. You start a conversation with him, and he just talks and tells you these great things. And so, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And that's yeah. one of those formats that it's podcasting. You know, it's personal, and it's, it doesn't really fit in that format of radio, and it, it definitely doesn't fit in other formats that we know. But I agree. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, great yeah. podcast, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. And why, and why shouldn't we have – I mean, you know, here's the thing. Public radio is supposed to be public, and yet increasingly so in the last 10 to 20 years, it has become less so. Uh, it does not serve the public interest. It serves the public interest only as those who control it define it. Uh, it's, it's, the same, uh, it's the same impulse behind the, the, the terrible clear channel scenario of the last – 20 years. I mean, the idea that there can be uh, these many individual voices that one can hear and one can appreciate and one can empathize with and one can, uh, one can really enjoy and one can learn something about the world around us. One can feel something about the world around us. I mean, uh, this is really what motivates me, both as a book reader, as a podcast listener, as a radio listener. I mean, even the old-time radio dramas I alluded to earlier. I mean, there is clear passion there that is just... Uh, you know, we're acting as if people are not passionate about things, and this really, really just just troubles me on so many levels. Because without that passion, how does one live? It's as simple as that. And and if if right. passion is an essential part of life, and I think that it is, uh, then why are we restricting it on the airwaves? Uh, and why aren't podcasters taking the reins with this more? Uh, like these these folks that I that I've mentioned. Um. Anyway, so to, to answer your question, I, you know, I, I'm not going to just take swipes at people. I want to have some thought here. <laughs> I would say that um, Lon Newton I, I read every day uh, The Elegant Variation run by Mark Sarvis uh, there's a great blog by uh, Colleen Mondor called Chasing Ray which is all about YA literature and I love the thing um, Jay Davidson keeps up light reading and always has some incredible link or some incredible piece She, uh, I also interviewed her for the program and, and she's it's a very fantastic blog um, you know, Sarah Weinman's blog, Confessions of an Idiosyncratic Mind. Uh, what else? I mean, there, I could, I could, I could rattle off like a jukebox all day. I, do you need a list of, uh, five or do you need a list of 500? That's the question. No, this is no, good. This, no, this, this is, is good. Great. Yeah. Great. In fact, if you, you wanted, of... yeah, if you wanted to give us a list of, you know, the five or so that you read or just make a post on your site that will link to you. I mean, that's Sure, that's sure, sure. Great. Great. And, and your, your blog, do you run all that yourself? Do you do your own website editing and design, all that kind of thing? Or do you have somebody else that helps you out? 
I, 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 yep, I do it all. Cool. Uh, I, I, I'm one of those types who, who really likes to do it all. I mean, now I, I really need to, uh, the thing that's funny about the Segundo template is that really, uh, uh, I haven't really done a full scale overall, uh, revamp largely because I, I'm essentially using the default template that <laughs> WordPress. It's just like, I wanted to initially just get the shows up. And, and so as a result, this has been, um, kind of one of the reasons why things ended up looking a certain way. Well, I think we all appreciate that you keep on, I think we all appreciate that you keep on doing interviews instead of spending time coding. So yeah. we, you know, cause honestly I, you know, subscribe to you and I don't go to your website very much unless I, uh, link over to a blog headline that I like, but a lot of yeah. how I interact with you is just from getting that audio into my inbox. You know, I don't even really uh, visit the site that much. So that it's not designed new and fresh all the time is totally fine by me. Just keep interviewing, yeah. please. <laughs> okay. Anyway, thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed, so much uh, yeah. for doing the show with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, and thank you, guys. I'm, I'm honored to have been your first guest on this little venture. And I was just wondering if you could get Bat to say goodbye to us. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. Uh... You know, let me, let me Is he not around? around. <laughs> what the hell do you want, sirs? I'm sick and tired of having to do these intros all the time where you don't have me at the keyboard in some sense. Do you really? I don't know. I, I just, whoa. That's, what? Yeah, I, 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 yeah. What, 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 what? Anyway, I guess that's it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so <laughs> much. <laughs> all right, take care of yourself. Thanks, Ed. Take care. All right, thanks, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. You can hear more of Ed Champion's show, The Bat Segundo Show, at batsegundo.com, as well as read Ed's blog at edrants.com. This is Media Sound Off. You can learn more about our program at mediasoundoff.com. That's all one word, Media Sound Off. I'm Lyle Troxell. And I'm Emerson Murray. Thanks for joining us.